How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of English Encore. I'm your host, Nick English. Thank you guys for tuning in. Today, we're talking about the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey concept for the gold season, as well as my thoughts on them bringing back the Royal Blue Jersey next year. We'll be previewing the men's basketball season for the University of Buffalo's men's team. We'll be talking about whether the Bills should trade LaShawn McCoy or not. And then we'll be going through some trade situations for Rasmus Ristolainen. So first we're going to be starting off by talking about the Sabres jerseys. It's the 50th season for the Buffalo Sabres, and they just announced last week that this year they're going to be having a special jersey. It's all gold. It's a gold and white jersey. Um, the logo and the numbers and everything have a nice, really gold color to it. Uh, personally, I'm a big fan of them. I think they look really good. I think it's a unique way to capture um, the fans' eye for the 50th season. But I think what most fans are more excited about are they announced during the 2020-21 season the Sabres are be going back to the original Royal Blue Jersey. And that's something I've always wanted for the past like five, six years. I really was never a fan of the Navy jersey. And I think a lot of fans are super amped up and happy about it. Um, you look on any social media, most of the fans are always talking about how they wanted the Royal Blue jersey back, which they haven't had since the 1995-96 season. That's when they made the move to the goat head, the red, black, white jerseys, and then they eventually went to the slug. And then we had the red sore jersey with the almost royal blue with the buffalo lettering, but we didn't really wear that that much. And then the, most recently we've been wearing the navy and the white jerseys. Um, I think the logo's always been fine. It's just been the colors kind of been dull. And one thing I think I've read a lot about online is a lot of fans don't like the fact that the Sabres don't wear white enough at home. But I think that'll change once the royal blue comes back. I think the navy jersey just isn't really what a lot of fans liked. Um, overall, I think them making that move is a huge deal. Um, I think it's great for Sabres from a marketing perspective. I think their merchandise sales are definitely going to go up for sure. And then I think the gold jersey, um, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if they continue to wear that a few times a year going forward. And I'm pretty intrigued this year to see if the Sabres do anything with any of the old jerseys, whether it's the goat head, the slug jersey, or just the red jersey with the swords, whether they wear any of those jerseys just once or twice throughout the course of this season, just because it is the 50th season, um, kind of a key milestone in Sabres history. So it'll definitely be intriguing to see what they do with that, just because you do have fans that are fans of the goat head and slug jerseys, while their fans really never liked either of them. So it'll be interesting to see if they do any of that or if they're just going to have the gold jersey for the select games and then have just their regular navy blue and the white jerseys. And I know they're wearing the gold jerseys for the uh, home opener this year, so it'll definitely be pretty cool. So moving on to UB men's hoops preview. Um, it's definitely an interesting season this year for men's hoops for UB. Um, they had a lot of high expectations going into this year after their season ended when they lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Texas Tech. Um, and then they ended up losing head coach Nate Oates to Alabama, and that really kind of turned things in the wrong direction to start the summer for UB. They lost three to four recruits who either decommitted or requested a release 
from the program because Oates was leaving and a few of them actually followed him to Alabama. Um, not to mention they lost four key players in C.J. Massenburg, Nick Perkins, Dante Carruthers, and Jeremy Harris. So at the beginning of the summer, it was definitely interesting looking at this UB team. Um, they are probably going to be looking at potentially finishing a lot lower than many people would have expected just because of the coaching change and whatnot. And they did lose out on a ton of recruits and had recruits leave because of Nate Oates' departure. But um, I think Jim Whitesell, their new head coach they named, has done a really excellent job over the course of the summer. Um, he was the f associate coach for UB um, for the past four years. And they do have some key players returning, including Javon Graves, Devontae Jordan, Renato Sagu, and Jonathan Williams, who all played some key roles last year for the Bulls in their tournament run. Um, I think it's a good thing with those players, too, is they've been around for the past two tournament runs and winning the past two MAC titles, so it's very good to have that experience. And then they went out and got some pretty big guys um, in the transfer market, including Quill Hardnett from Cincinnati and then Josh Mabala from Texas Tech. And then they also picked up David Nickelberry um, from the Juco transfer. So they picked up some really nice pieces and it was really good to see that for Jim Whitesell. Did a nice job in the recruiting aspect, especially after losing three to four guys after Nate Oates left. So I think with all those guys together and with the returners, with Graves and Jordan, um, I wouldn't be surprised if UB finishes still in the top three or four across the MAC. It's definitely going to be tough. Um, Toledo, Bowling Green, and Central Mission are going to be some big challenges for them. But I do think UB is going to be a little bit above expectations. I think a lot of people think they're going to kind of fall off and not really be contenders for the MAC title just because of Nate Oates leaving. And then they lost four or five key guys who's been key to that team for the past three, four years, especially in guys like Massenburg and Perkins. But another thing to look at with UB is they're currently tied to a Tennessee as far as home win streaks across the whole country, NCAA basketball, they've currently won 26 in a row at home. So that's still going to be a very tough place to play. Um, I personally think they're going to finish top three and they're going to be contending for a MAC title. Um, right now, I'd say Toledo's probably the favorite in the MAC conference um, to win the title this year and make the NCAA tournament. But um, I definitely think UB is going to be right there. As I just mentioned, very tough to play at home. And they've always been a pretty good road team. And I think the couple guys in Hardnet and Mabala, the big transfers from Cincinnati, Texas Tech, can fill a couple of voids that they lost right away. And I think it is good that they hired someone that was already on the UB coaching staff previously just to keep that camaraderie and continue to build what they already established on um, UB's done a really nice job over the past four or five years starting from the bottom building up and becoming one of the top mid-major teams in the entire country and they've really taken um buffalo basketball by storm before they were always kind of around with ub or excuse me with canisius niagara saint bonaventure they were always in that conversation they were probably above most of them um bonaventure had a lot of hype a few years ago but ever since nate Oates was at ub he really took them to the next level and really the other teams like Bonaventure and Kanish Schneider really don't compare to UB nowadays. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain that. 
Um, I think Jim Whitesell is going to be able to do that, especially if he can continue to recruit in the future like he did. And they do have a few young guys um, that are returning in Graves and Sagu, who I both think are going to be key for them. I think Javon Graves has a chance to be a player of the year in the conference um, this year or next year. We'll see how he plays this year, but he played really well last year for them, especially in the tournament. So we'll see how it goes, but I definitely expect UB to have another promising year. So now moving on to LaShawn McCoy and the Buffalo Bills and seeing why they should or should not trade him. So we're going to start off with why they should trade him. Um, some of the obvious things, first and foremost, is just his age and cap hit. Um, he's 31 years old. He has a cap hit of a little over $9 million per season. It is the last year of his contract, but that's still a pretty hefty price to pay for a 31-year-old running back. Um, he's coming off of his worst season as a Buffalo Bill and probably his career last year. He only had 514 yards and three touchdowns and only averaged 3.2 yards per carry. Um, some of that had to do with the offensive line and quarterback play. Um, Josh was in his rookie year. He started the year with Peterman. Um, the offensive line was very inconsistent. And then he had Derek Anderson in there too and Matt Barkley. So it's kind of a whirlwind on the offensive side of the ball last year for the Bills. And I think LaShawn McCoy really struggled last year to find the open hole. Part of that was because of the line, and I think part of it was because sometimes he felt because the offense was so bad he had to do too much on his own, and he tried to would cut it outside and make a bigger play and would end up losing more yards. Um, other big reason why they, they probably should trade him, just because they do have Frank Gore on a pretty nice low minimum contract. They drafted Devin Singletary in the third round, so... They pretty much think he's going to be the guy of the future, and they do have T.J. Yeldon, who's a proven back in the league. Um, he's a great receiving back. And then the other thing is, because it is last year, um, you might as well try and get some value for him while you can before more than likely he walks next year in free agency. I doubt the Bills would bring him back unless it was on a super cheap deal. Um, I'd be looking at a few teams like Kansas City, the Chargers, or the Bucks. Um, the Bucks really just don't have a running back at all, so maybe you could have a potential trade there. Um, Chargers with everything going on with Melvin Gordon. Um, I know they have Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, but you never know if they want to trade for a guy like McCoy can hide to help Eckler while also helping them keep the backfield steady. And McCoy had his most successful season when Anthony Lynn was our offensive coordinator in 2016. He ran for 1,267 yards and 13 touchdowns and a 5.4 average yards per carry. So maybe he could reunite with Anthony Lynn there. Um, and then Kansas City is the other one just because they lost Kareem Hunt last year after all his off-the-field issues. Um, people really aren't sold on Damian Williams yet, and their backups are kind of iffy with Carlos Hyde and um, obvious past history with LaShawn McCoy and Andy Reid when he was on Philadelphia could be a potential target there. Um, looking at why they shouldn't trade LaShawn McCoy, um, first starting off with just the leadership and locker room aspect. Um, he was a captain of the team last year. He's been in the NFL a long time. Um, from what I've seen, LaShawn McCoy has never caused any problems in the locker room, and he does have good rapport with Josh Allen. I think it's important to surround Allen 
with guys he's comfortable with, not saying that he's not comfortable with a lot of the other guys, but because LaShawn really took Josh under his wing last year as a rookie, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to keep him around. The other thing is last year was McCoy's really first bad year with the Bills. He could easily bounce back this year. Um, you look at all the other seasons he's with the Bills, he's pretty much had 1,000-plus yards his first year. He had 895 he also missed three or four games, so he probably would have been over a thousand. He played all sixteen. Then he had that monster year that I just talked about, where he had thirteen touchdowns, twelve hundred yards, and then the next year he went over the ten thousand mark for his career, had eleven hundred thirty-eight yards and six touchdowns. And before last year, Lashawn McCoy never averaged below four yards per carry as a member of the Buffalo Bills. So I think he could definitely have a bounce back here. I think he's looked pretty good in preseason so far. Granted, the preseason doesn't mean as much as regular season. He's got to prove it there. But he definitely looks a lot more fresh. Um, just in watching this previous game against the Detroit Lions, you could see he had that little bit of extra gas. His jump cut was right back to where it was a few years ago. It was making a lot of guys miss hitting the open hole quicker and really getting the outside, showing off his speed even though he's 31. And I think something that's underappreciated about LaShawn McCoy's game as a whole is his pass blocking ability. He's really good at picking up linebackers and chipping guys at the end on the defensive line. Um, he showed that last year, especially with all the different quarterbacks he had to deal with. And if you looked at some of the videos throughout training camp and preseason, especially when they were training with the Panthers. He's going one-on-one -on -one with Luke Keekley in passing drills. And just watching him go up against him, I mean, anyone knows Luke Keekley's one of, if not the top linebacker in the NFL. And he was handled Keekley with ease and did a really nice job. And he's done that throughout the course of his career. Not to mention the receiving aspect. He's always been great out of the backfield too. Um, I know he's had a little bit of drops here and there in preseason. Part of that's just Allen's aiming the ball a little low. But um, you also have to be careful with not asking Devin Singletary to do too much. And I know that's kind of crazy to say just because every year you find these undrafted or low-round running backs. You look at a guy like Philip Lindsley last year for Denver, who had over a thousand yards, and just looking at the Bills' history, a guy like Fred Jackson um, can come in right away and contribute. But if you get rid of Lashawn McCoy and all you carry into the season is Singletary, Yeldon, and Frank Gore, if a guy like Gore, I mean, he's up there even higher in age than Lashawn McCoy, if a guy like that goes down, and then you're solely basing your workload on Singletary, that could be a huge problem. I think it's really beneficial for a guy like Singletary to have a year sitting behind two future Hall of Famers in LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore and really learn the game from them. Just see them, how they handle themselves in and out of the locker room, pick their brain, ask them questions of what they've learned um, over the course of their careers, um, just show the rookie how to be a professional, um, and just take things from both their games I think if you look at Singletary, Gore and McCoy are perfect guys for him to learn from because it's almost like he's a mixture of both of them. I think he's a little bit more of a 
downhill runner than a guy like McCoy is, who's more shifty, but he still has a little bit of that speed and elusiveness factor that McCoy has compared to a guy like Frank Gore. And I just think it's a good thing to keep McCoy around. Um, he's been in the Pro Bowl every year except for last year as a member of the Bills, and I know Pro Bowls don't mean much, but McCoy's always been a great running back in the NFL throughout the course of his career, and I'm really not too worried about one bad year on a team that was clearly uh, regrouping after they surprisingly made the playoffs and they had a bunch of quarterbacks last year, um, and I think that didn't really help, and now they have a more steady offensive line overall, and I think that's really going to help McCoy. And I think previously they've really used him almost too much the past two years um, prior and it really kind of slowed him down for his age and I think this year having Gore who's one of his close friends and Singletary in the backfield with him it's going to take a little bit of the workload off him and I think that's going to keep McCoy fresher at his age he's going to be able to break off a few more big runs and personally I think LaShawn McCoy has a good chance this year to push over a thousand yards um, I think with the wide receiver additions of Cole Beasley and John Brown and then Allen last year showing off his threat running the ball, I think it's going to open the field up more for McCoy to get involved, especially in the past game. I thought last year they didn't utilize him enough. And early on in preseason, you've seen McCoy out wide in one-on-one -on -one coverage a lot of times, and I think they could really have him be a big help there this year. Dable's really good at putting you guys in unique situations and getting the best out of them. So personally, I think the Bills should retain LaShawn McCoy and not trade him. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, if they are going to trade him, I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to use him heavy, especially the first two, three weeks of the season, and then kind of look around the NFL and see if there's any injuries or teams that are really lacking at the running back position and if he's producing enough maybe they can get a little bit of value for him whether that's a third or fourth round pick or something back in that regard but I personally think that they should keep LaShawn McCoy. So now we're going to be talking about Rasmus Ristolainen. Um, about a week and a half ago or so uh, Ristolainen made it known that he's been unhappy in Buffalo and he hasn't been able to enjoy the game and from the sounds of it he's asked to be traded. Um, Ristolainen's name has been thrown around the trade bubble for a while now based on the moves the Sabres made in the offseason acquiring Colin Miller and Henry Okiaru um, from the Blackhawks and Miller from the Ducks or excuse me the Knights respectively. Um, just also going along with Brandon Montour, Dahlien, Pilot, Bogosian's pretty crowded back on the blue line. That's not even mentioning some of the lower guys like Scandella and Hunwick or a guy like Will Borgen who might push and make the team from Rochester last year. Um, just first, my thoughts on Ristolainen saying how he hasn't been able to enjoy hockey and other things like that. Um, it almost sounds like a little bit of the Ryan O'Reilly situation, um, how he said he really couldn't enjoy the season and whatnot. And from a fan perspective, I honestly don't care. Um, you want to talk about how you don't enjoy this season? Well, how about the fans that have been coming and selling out or filling up the arena for you guys for the past eight years while you guys haven't made the playoffs? Um, most fans don't want to hear that. They want to hear how you're hungry and eager to get in the playoffs. Um, just a few days ago, Rasmus Dahlin, um 
talked about how he thinks the team's going to be very good this year and they have a big chip on their shoulder. And he actually said he guarantees the Sabres going to make the playoffs, which it's a little bit risky to say, but I'd rather have a player and a young guy like that who's confident in his game and in his teammates than a guy just saying he hasn't been able to have fun because the media has been scrutinizing his lack of defensive play and because you've been losing and all this other stuff that you haven't been having fun. You're getting paid millions of dollars to play professional hockey, and offensively, you're a pretty good defenseman. Defensively, it's argue, could be argued if you even play defense because the past year and a half, he hasn't been good. When he's on the ice, a lot of times, team scoring goals. He takes himself out of the play by going and hitting guys against the boards and not recovering. And he's always been this fake tough guy. Yeah, it's nice that Ristolainen would shove guys around in front of the net and stand up for teammates, but it's so fake. He's never going to drop the gloves and fight anyone. Uh, only a guy like Bogosian's going to do that. So um, personally, I'm kind of over Ristolainen. Um, I'm, hopefully they do move him. I'm just going to go through five teams and some trade scenarios I think that could possibly happen. Um, starting off with five, um, the Pittsburgh Penguins. The only reason they're on my list is just because of Jason Botter on his history with the Penguins. You kind of never know um, in a situation like that. You look at the Buffalo Bills and what they've done with the Panthers trading back and forth and signing guys um, from the Panthers organization, where they came from. Um, same thing with the Penguins. You look at the Sabres, they've gotten Connor Sheary and Matt Hunwick from them, so you never know. Maybe Bottrell makes a deal with them. Um, my fourth team is the Minnesota Wild. Um, it's been rumored that Sabres have been interested in Jason Zucker for a while, and Minnesota's trying to move on from him after he had a pretty down season last year. Um, I think Zucker would be a great addition for the Sabres to add to that second and third line depth. Um, Minnesota could also use a little bit of depth behind Ryan Suter on the defensive line, so that's another team. Um, Edmonton is definitely an intriguing team. I think if the Sabres were smart, they'd be doing anything they could. Try to go out and get a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins to fill that center two role. Um, whether or not they would do a straight-up trade with Ristolainen, or we'd have to give a little more. Um, personally, that'd be something I'd explore. But also, Edmonton just had a history of making super bad trades. So it's definitely something that Bottles should try to take advantage of, in my opinion. Tampa Bay is another really interesting team. Um, just because they've shown interest in Ristolainen in the past, and they really could use help uh, for the second and third line pairings as far as defensemen go. Um, they're trying to shred some contracts um, that they have on their roster to create room uh, to re-sign Braden Point. Um, a couple guys like Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gord could be some targets for the Sabres, um, and I think Tampa would be willing to part with either of them, more likely Johnson than Gord. However, both of them do have no trade clauses, so be a little tricky. You'd have to get them to agree to waive that, um, so they'd be one to look at. And then the number one team I think a lot of people have been talking about and I've talked about in the past on a few other podcasts is the Winnipeg Jets. Um, they just lost Sherratt and Myers on the blue line um, in free agency, so they're definitely lacking on the defense side of the puck um, a guy like Nikolai Ehlers has been rumored for a while um, and he'd really add to the Sabres I think he'd be plugged right into the second line 
Um, just still interesting to see what the Sabres are going to do with that second center line position. But adding a guy like Ehlers to play along, maybe Reinhardt and Middlestad, I think that'd be a great second line. Um, and then you have a guy like Olofsson uh, or Oposo get tossed on the top line with Eichel and Skins. Um, so it'd definitely be interesting to see, see if Ristolainen is going to be on the roster throughout training camp, if they're going to keep him into the season. Um, it's been pretty evident that Jason Bottle is not just going to give Ristolainen away. Um, I think people think Ristolainen's value is kind of going down just because he isn't the greatest defenseman, as I pointed out before. His plus-minus is one of the worst in NHL history and worst in Sabres history by far. Um, just hasn't been what the Sabres thought he was going to be. Um, I've said previously he'd be a great second or even third line defenseman, but for the $5 million he's getting paid, it's not worth it. Um, I was a fan of Ristolainen. Um, I still think he could be a top four defenseman in the league. Um, personally, I'm kind of just over him being on a Sabres. I think he needs to change his scenery. And after his latest comments about not being happy, um, I've kind of just lost um, my fandom for him. So it would definitely be interesting to see what Botterill does. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the opening night roster and they carry him into late November, early December, and then pull the trigger on a trade based on how he's playing, whether that increased or decreased the value um, is yet to be seen because we don't know how he's going to perform this year. Um, if the Sabres are lucky, they'll uh, he'll play really well and they'll be able to increase um, the trade market or maybe they'll end up keeping him, who knows. Um, but I think the defensive blue line for the Sabres right now is pretty crowded and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Ristolainen gets traded. Um, so next week we're going to be talking about NCAA basketball and my personal picks of who can win the national championship this year. We're talking about how the Mets' recent hot stretch has them pushing for a playoff spot and whether or not that can be maintained and if they can make a deep run in the postseason. Um, we're talking about some NCAA football and my four playoff teams uh, that are going to be competing for their national championship this year. And then we're going to be talking about should the NFL get rid of preseason as a whole. Um, so that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate all the support, and I hope you guys turn in next week. And have a nice day and nice week, everyone.